0: into my home yesterday morning, right after my dog walk, put down my keys, hung up the dog leash, kicked off my shoes, looked at my wife and daughter in the kitchen, and I said, hello, no response. So a little louder, I said, hey there, good morning, Uh, no response. Then I just stood there and said, hello, no response. One more time, I went, hi, nobody looked at me. No response. And at that moment, I said, Oh, I think I'm dead. Honestly, you know how TV and movies have shown us so many ghosts that enter homes, but nobody acknowledges them because they're dead? I genuinely felt that for one to two seconds of my life. Now, they were having a very important conversation. My wife was teaching my daughter snack versus meal the things we eat, what constitutes a snack, and then. What qualifies as a meal? That's an important conversation. And I don't blame my wife for avoiding the distraction of a husband who says, hello, hello, hello. That's fine. I'm good with it. That's not the issue. The issue is my irrational thoughts might be reaching an all-time high. I'm averaging 2.3 per day. Irrational thoughts per day. ITPD. What's yours? Where are you at? You want to stay below three. And we're all at least at one. Some people past 10. Struggling. Struggling if you're past 10. So I'm maybe yeah 2.3 ITPD. I'm working on it. But yeah, definitely felt I was dead. Hello, nobody. Oh, welcome to the movie Ghost or Ghost Dad. I'm trying to avoid Bill Cosby references, but come on. Ghost Dad is the perfect, the perfect reference point right there. All right, welcome in. It's episode 103. How you doing? This is going to be a long one. But what do you have to do, right? Listen in intervals. Don't get mad. This one's going to be about an hour. It's the Isaac Zones episode. That's special. That's the guy that officiated my wedding. That's the guy that I met at Camp Tawanga about 18 years ago, and the friendship remains strong, and it's evolving into a business partnership. (gasps) Did you just gasp? Did you just hit the floor and say to yourself, Josh, you're going into business? No, no, no. I'm not leaving teaching, but I got a side hustle. Okay? Okay. We're becoming YouTube stars. Isaac is a musician. Children's songs. That's his forte. Successful recording artist out of the Bay Area. But he's the best. So instead of just allowing him to have a little community, a little niche audience, I'm saying let's blow this motherfucker up. That's our slogan for our production company. Now I'm the executive producer. Why? Because I gave myself that title. That's why. He's the talent. And then good old John Bush is going to be the editor and graphic designer if he wants. He's allowed to quit anytime. So if you're a parent right now and you're looking for some good old-fashioned kids' music, some YouTube videos that you don't have to feel guilty about watching with your kid, we're going to be producing these. So I said, Isaac, come on the podcast finally. I've invited him for two years, but never really actually planned it on the calendar. I always knew I would have him on because he's got great depth, fun dude, good guy, good guy. And also a chance to talk about Camp Tawanga which is deeply planted into my soul. And some of you have no clue what that camp is all about. Well, you'll learn today, or you'll skip over this episode and say, a little too Jewish. Now, I'm not saying that makes you anti-Semitic. That's fine. But if you look at this episode and you go, Isaac Zones, Jewish kids songs, I'm good. I'll wait till 104. Don't worry. I harbor no negative feelings towards you. Because this one might get a little Jewish at times. Or maybe it doesn't. I don't know. I don't know. But, of course, I appreciate you tuning in. Drop a rating on iTunes if you want. If you're new to the podcast, I demand you listen to all 102 before jumping into 103. But 103, it's going to be special. So without making you wait any further, here's my chat with the one and only Isaac Zones. I actually was checking the news today, and this is interesting. I came across something called COVID-19. Have you heard of this?
1: I just, I, I just heard about it this morning on my news feed.
0: And what was your reaction when you started to collect some information about it?
1: Um, I was like, yeah, this probably won't affect me.
0: Right, right. You know, we'll be back to normal pretty soon. I do believe that, I already brought this up, everybody, and I don't care if you're so wealthy and you're still getting paychecks to the people that are truly struggling right now. I think everybody has had one moment since this whole shelter in place began of the meltiest meltdown just the mental (laughs) meltdown to the point where you truly understand what's happening to the world and then you have to brush yourself off and get back on your feet and say i'm okay i'm good have you had that moment and if so describe everything what manifested within you
1: (laughs) um i don't know if i've had that meltdown per se i mean the truth is that you know i i have a, a one and a half year old at home and i think that forces me to be present a lot more than I would. Otherwise I'm not really thinking too reflectively on like my existence, but, um, I did. So since, you know, March 16th or whatever it was, I have not slept away from home until about two weeks ago. Um, my wife and, and one year old and I went camping together and we, uh, we got into a big fight and stopped talking (laughs) to each other for the second half of the camping (laughs) trip. And, um, It did provide me kind of a moment to be like i don't think this would have happened without this pandemic like i think it i think there is the added pressure of just like spending all the time together at home not knowing when it's going to end, all of that—it just mounts and gets to kind of a breaking point.
0: Well, not just camping fights, but all marital fights right now. You could chalk it up to, oh, that was pandemic-infused. We're better than that. We're better than that. I feel like that's kind of calming for a couple to go. Sorry, it's just the stress of COVID
2: nineteen.
1: Yeah, because we never fought before the pandemic. It's like a, it's a. Right, <laughs> Josh. On this topic, though, I have to say, and I don't know if this is getting too nostalgic too quickly, but. Um, I was remembering recently that you and I were supposed to go to a Warriors game. It was going to be your first game at the Chase Center. Yeah, um, It was the day after the NBA canceled the season, but I was completely prepared to go. I knew it was a bad idea, but I was just like, I still really want to go. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't going to let go of you and I uh, having that, our Warriors game uh, just over some
0: threat. I realized that it wasn't until the last minute when we were like, oh, you mean fans can't come? Oh, you mean NBA doesn't exist anymore? You know what's weird though? It's back, and I tuned into a couple of games, and I have trouble getting into it. Have you been able to get into it? I'm into
1: it. I'm I'm like I'm fully in. I I mean, the truth is, is always with NBA for me. It mostly was like watching highlights or reading about the games. And um, and actually, I've adopted a new team now that the Warriors aren't in it. Pelicans, right? I'm a a Blazers fan. Blazers. Dame Lillard, Oakland-born and bred. I'm I'm fully in on uh on the Blazers.
0: What if he was from Memphis? Nope. Oh, okay, so your Oakland colors are coming through right now. (laughs) I guess so. I like that. I think most Warriors fans have a lot of love for Lillard. You know, baseball I also tried and couldn't do, and I was starting to question, am I even a sports fan anymore? Like, so many people were clamoring for this. Like, I can't wait for sports to come back. I got through three innings of a Giants game, and I'm like, I don't know if I could keep doing this. I realize I need fans. The broadcasters were brutally boring. I hate in-game interviews. They were talking to like, this is Lynn Gladstone. She played the Oregon at Comiskey Park back in the 80s. I'm like, what the fuck do we need an in-game interview for? Tell me what's going on. I feel like sports
1: for me has been a little bit of an escape. And Do you feel like you found a different escape in the like four or five months where we didn't have sports?
0: Yeah, I'm reading more than ever. And not to try to sound like such an intellect, but... I'm reading to stay sharp because I truly feel myself getting dumber without the stimulation of human interaction. So, I think every day I read about an hour. Right now, I'm reading Ball Four. Have you ever heard of that book by Jim Buton?
1: No, but I'm I, I I still need a moment of uh, to get over the fact that you're reading for an hour. That's incredible.
0: <laughs> I lie in my bed when my. <laughs> Two-and-a-half-year-old takes a nap, I also lie in bed and just start reading. Because if I start scrolling through all the many streaming services, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime, you gave me HBO, thank you so much, and I start to realize 20 minutes went by and I can't make a decision, sometimes it's easier to just fall into the Kindle and then fall asleep for 10 minutes. That blissful reading puts you to sleep type of nap. So no, I'm not getting into much right now when it comes to sports, but that's probably my own fault. I can ramp it up. I could get the gambling account going and easily, easily find the interest once again.
1: Maybe when the playoffs hit. Yeah. That's when it'll uh, look quick for you. Well, you uh, actually... Just for the record. Yeah, yeah. Um, that HBO I got from somebody else and I probably wasn't supposed to pass it on to you, so...
0: That's okay. I don't think the cops are coming to your door. I think they have bigger things to worry about right now. Are you worried?
1: Uh, no, I'm not. I, I just think it's funny that uh, I'm now... Putting that secret of my life into a podcast.
0: (laughs) You are one of the great rule followers I've ever met. I'm being serious right now, and I kind of like that about you. I'm not judging, but for the listeners right now that don't know, Isaac doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. He doesn't sin. He doesn't even drink caffeine. He doesn't even take Advil if he has a headache. So, all these things I'm interested in. I'm not sure I'm going to say, I am so impressed. I admire it, but it makes you unique. It makes you certainly uh, an extraordinary friend. Do you know where your rule-following morals even come from? What's the root of this?
1: Well, I do have to say that um, I jaywalk quite a bit. I mean, there's definitely rules nice. that I break. Nice. And, uh, and I'm married to someone who was raised Catholic who's constantly pointing out to me all the rules that I
0: break. <laughs> okay. So, I, so in the house, you're bad to the relative. bone. I got you.
1: <laughs> uh, well, it's funny about, I think, some like the caffeine and the alcohol. Like my dad would drink probably two beers a day and had at least one cup of coffee every morning. And my mom would like give him such a hard time about it. I think she would even, you know, go to the point where she would kind of, you know, say it was a crutch for him Mm. to, to not like be in touch with his emotions and things. And, and so I think even by high school where I was actually drinking and smoking weed and trying stuff, I kind of knew in my head that this wasn't like a habit that I wanted to form. Like it wasn't something I wanted to have be a part of my life as an adult. And so, um, I took a year off from school after high school, and um, and I, re- I was really conscious in my mind about like what are the habits I want to start to create for myself, like going into this transition towards adulthood or something. And I even was trying to not eat sugar for a while. That's kind of my big vice Whoa. at this point. Is do you call it a crutch
0: sugar. or vice? Because I like the word crutch.
1: Oh, you do like crutch. Well, you just um, used it. I guess the it. sugar. I you know what I think it uh, for me the sugar. Yeah, it's a little bit like numbing or kind of an escape. I guess movies and entertainment and sports are all that kind of for me, too. Um, and those are things I haven't, like, weeded out so that I just am, like, in a constant raw state of emotion.
0: <laughs> well, no but, one, uh, no one's going to judge you if you're sitting there watching Netflix, eating candy bars. So I think your crutches good. are still viewed as somewhat healthy, even if you binge them to toxic degrees.
1: yeah. I mean, I, I guess the truth is, is, I think this last summer we're, we're having the, for some of us, the wool taken off around just like what an oppressive society we live in. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and there's even more to be exposed other than like police brutality and racism in our country. But I think I think a lot of it is allowed to happen in part because so many people are numbed out to like, what are they doing with their work or their lives? And I think I think in my mind on some level I knew I didn't want to be a part of that. To whatever degree I could resist it, and so I, I there. I, I mean, obviously, I'm still finding ways to to numb out or escape, or you know, by watching HBO Max, etc. But I think at the same time, I've I've wanted to have, at least have an attitude of trying to be have my eyes open, know what's going on, and to not be like numbed out about it. Like to actually, yeah, you know, I watched uh, earlier this week uh, the first episode of this show called Immigration Nation that just mm-hmm. came to Netflix, and it's you know it's, it's all about ICE. And the first episode, you know, focuses on Trump and the child separation stuff. You know, and I watched these dads from Honduras, like, crying their eyes out, talking about their three-year-old that they haven't seen in 30 days and just, like, the crazy past that they came from. You know, and I, I so identified with it as a dad of a young child. And at some point later that day or the next day, I, I couldn't help it. Like, I, I kind of had a breakdown and I started crying just thinking about how much I love my son, but also just imagining what those people were going through i mean i think i'm it's not that i necessarily can do that but i think i'm more open to the possibility of that by not being as numbed out i guess what i'm trying to say
0: yeah i got you i am so sensitive to that type of stuff and when i say that type of stuff i mean the brutal news that we're being fed every day and the reality of society that i do find myself Trying to get off Twitter trying not to go to all these news sites throughout the day And then I'm conflicted because like you said you don't want to have your head buried in the sand and The idea of how can I numb myself to some of the horrors going on in the world? I think it's a fine line to tiptoe saying I do want to be informed But I don't want it to consume me to the point where I'm just sad and upset
1: You need a balance I think right and I think for you You need to be balanced out where you're not focused on it all the time And I probably need to be balanced on it where I'm not like eating sugar and watching tv all the time so uh, you know like i I actually am pushing myself to look at it because i'm i know i'm so tempted not to think about it or not to look at it
0: i'd be suspicious if somebody had zero crutches zero vices so i am happy to hear that you have a few you you do have a few deep down within your soul and who knows in 10 years you might be the world's biggest raging alcoholic we've ever met so (laughs) we can always transition in life you know one thing i wrote down um, There are a few things I wanted to bring up because obviously we could just shoot the shit for a long time is that you're born and raised in San Francisco. And I feel yeah. like you do have the qualities of a San Franciscan, whatever that means. And now you live in the Fruitvale neighborhood of Oakland. So you clearly have a grasp on both cities. And I was just watching Last Chance You. We were talking about that where they focus on Laney College. And it's supposed to be about junior college football, but it's so much more than that. I learned a lot about Oakland. And I think for Outsiders... They look at these two cities, the city and the town, and they're so close to one another, but they might not realize how different they are. Can you explain the differences? Could you try to be concise and sum up what is San Francisco all about and then what's Oakland all about as a man who's lived in both places?
1: Well, it's funny because I watched the fifth episode of this Last Chance You last night at 1 a.m. from 1 to 2 a.m. I stayed up way too late. Attaboy. And this was the episode where they... Uh, Laney College of Oakland plays City College of San Francisco and they highlight the relationship between San Francisco and Oakland and it's funny because I actually you know I've lived in Oakland for four years now I don't miss living in San Francisco I hardly go back to visit I don't think about it often but I did find myself watching this TV show and being like this is the one game where I kind of want to root for City College of San Francisco <laughs> instead of Laney
0: <laughs> I, I root with Last Chance U also like it's live football I always root
1: <laughs> yeah but um, uh, it, it was interesting that I noticed in that episode that I think the way that people talked about Oakland or certainly how they framed it in the in the documentary is like, I think part of Oakland ide- Oakland's identity is having a chip on their shoulder related to San Francisco, whereas I think San Francisco's identity is largely ignorant of Oakland. Yeah, yeah, I
0: agree. <laughs> I agree.
1: So for me, growing up in San Francisco, I mean, I grew up in the sunset, which wasn't a glamorous neighborhood. It was mostly Asian people who lived in the city. And and I went to a Jewish elementary school. But then by the time I got to public school, middle school and high school, it was mostly Asian students. And I don't know. It felt like it felt like a pretty down to earth experience, to be honest. And, I, you know, probably the teachers that we had in public schools were more progressive or more uh, open minded in certain ways. I remember when Prop 187 passed, which is like a very anti-immigrant law. I was like in seventh grade and I had this teacher who made this like stirring dramatic speech in class saying I will never report any of you you know and she was clearly so upset that the law had passed and I don't you know I don't think that that moment would have happened in another city for instance you know necessarily mm-hmm. but um but I it felt like a very grounded experience and then you know I went away to Los Angeles for school for college and when I came back as a young adult and you know I lived at home for the first few years but then finally moved into an apartment with my friends and I started living in the mission district and neighborhoods actually that I hardly went to as a child. And I, I think some of it is the time had passed and the ch- city had changed in some ways, but I think more of it was like, I was a young adult and I was like going to bars and concerts and doing the things that are more like what's known the city's known for, I guess. And um, it did feel like a super different place. And I, at its best, I remember feeling like this feels like a playground, <laughs> like there's parks everywhere. There's Hills everywhere there's like free concerts happening all the time. Like you could just constantly, it's like a playground for young adults kind of, you know, like you you could just constantly find something weird, fun, interesting, cultural, you know, to connect into. Um, I think some of that, you know, that was, I moved home in 2004 and I finally moved to Oakland in 2016. I mean, in those 12 years, you know, you could feel the, the effects of the tech boom, you know, that particular tech boom and, more and more people with more money who work for tech companies moving in. And they were they were like so excited to enjoy those events. But at some point there was a tipping point where it felt like, like the culture was being sapped from the city.
0: It has. In a way. Yeah, the flavor, yeah. it's not gone, but the flavor has decreased. Absolutely. Yeah. The San Francisco, yeah. even you and I grew up knowing in the 80s and 90s, I don't feel like it's much of that anymore.
1: Yeah. It, it, um, yeah, I mean... It, just the fact that like essentially you have to be so wealthy to live there really affects I mean you know obviously there's some ways that people have held on to like i some of the probably my two best friends growing up in San Francisco essentially you know they're going to turn 40 in december of this year and one of them still lives at home the other one has spent a lot of time living at home you know through his 30s and parts of his 20s i mean the i think that's how people figure out to stay in the city kind of, you know, um, or maybe they inherit a house from a parent or grandparent or something like that. But it's, it, it just doesn't leave a lot of space for there to be a lot of people of different walks of life.
0: Well, nevertheless, people are still going to vacation to San Francisco and you never hear about somebody taking a vacation to Oakland. And the difference is, I think, you know, San Francisco has a reputation. It's got all this great art history, in these beautiful views, but the people from Oakland value it so much. You talk about this backseat mentality. They know deep down Oakland can be a vacation destination. There's fun to be had in Oakland. Have you discovered that fun? Would you say it's hidden or would you say just like San Francisco, (sighs) the gentrification is on display at all times and there's going to be an influx of more and more white people displacing the minorities?
1: Um, It's a good question. I mean, um it's funny I, last thanksgiving we organized a lot of my wife's family from la to come up, about 15 20 people and all they wanted to do was go into san francisco of course they didn't give a shit about oakland <laughs> and uh, they wanted to go visit the golden gate bridge and see the chase center and all these things and um it, and for us it was just like why why what's interesting about that but um in oakland i mean it, it's weird i feel like a newbie to oakland i've been here for four years and i do you know on my block, there's a lot of people who grew up in Oakland and I think see me as somewhat of an outsider, even though I grew up, you know, what, 10, 15 miles away. And, um, I, I, I do think that there's a lot of, a lot of the art and culture that I loved about San Francisco, either growing up or like in my early twenties, I think has kind of moved over here to Oakland. So I think there's a lot of that, but I do think you, you in some ways you have to know where to find it. I think there are some parts of Oakland that are being have already been gentrified in kind of a scary way. I mean, North Oakland is, is definitely kind of had that transformation. I haven't been here long enough to see a ton of it. Um, but there's a lot, you know, Oakland's like a big geographically, a really big city. So there's a lot happening in lots of different places. And I think, you know, entire parts of East Oakland, I don't see that being gentrified in the near future, you know? Um, so I, I don't know. It's still going to be a big mix. I think. Yeah,
0: no, that's true. You once told me that your dream as an adult is to just be a regular at a donut shop. Back when there were, you know, mom and pop donut shops, just you in the corner with a newspaper and your apple fritter. Do you remember saying that?
1: I do remember. There was something to it.
0: You were not kidding. You're like, actually, that sounds like the best existence just to be a regular (laughs) townsman at a donut shop. I was like this dude. I
1: think it was. I think the appeal about it was I I was feeling, like, overwhelmed with trying to, like, stay in touch with people. And I was just like, if I just was always at the donut shop and people knew that they could come visit me whenever they wanted to, I I didn't have to, to like, work at all to, like, reach out or make plans. It's just like, oh, yeah, I know where to find Isaac at all times.
0: Yeah. No, I get it. I do get it now. There's something, you know, about being consistent where people know, hey, there's (laughs) Isaac from 8 to 10 a.m. If you want to say hello and kibitz a little bit. All right, let's it's about camp. Obviously, I've never talked about it in depth, but Tawanga is a part of me. And if you think yeah. about the amount of days I've been alive versus the amount of days I've actually been at Tawanga, it's not a lot of days at Tawanga, but it changes yeah. you. So when I was young, like 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, I'd spend three weeks out of the year there. And even yeah. though it's a calm place, it's a powerful place. And that's where I met you. And a lot of the yeah. things that I value that I definitely didn't even value prior to Tawanga and just things I was exposed to from good music to swimming in a river to connecting with nature and people on a deeper level, it was formed there. So I, I don't even think of it every day. It's almost just like a part of me that I don't have to access. Cause I know it's just in my DNA now, but could you explain, I know it's really tough to articulate the okay. beauty of this place, but could you explain what it means to you? In a sense because i think it played into why you have become a children's music recording artist
1: 100 i mean i learned to play guitar as my first year as a counselor there i learned to love kind of like singing in groups there i mean i i i did like that before but it wasn't i, I had never seen people so pumped to like sing i mean you know first of <laughs> all like weave me the sunshine which is kind of a kid's song People are just like screaming it, you know, and jumping up and down or country roads is like kind of the big one there. But even, you know, the first week of of staff training, so still all staff there and it it was Shabbat dinner and after dinner, they all they move all the tables and people are like sing like huddled in circles, spinning really fast around and singing in Hebrew and they knew the words and they were just like (laughs) shouting it. I it, it kind of something in my head exploded seeing people that excited about singing in Hebrew <laughs> and um and I loved it I mean it, it, honestly at first it felt weird and like who are these people and then someone like I think it might have been Eli Shama like forced me to join in on the circle and once I was in I was in yeah know, yeah it is weird out.
0: it's a beautiful kind of weird yeah. but hell yeah it's weird
1: yeah and I um I just fell in love with song session and learned to play guitar and then that's kind of all I wanted to do for it coincided with you know, I was all about baseball up until that point in my life, and, um, and I, I did play my first year of college, and then I decided not to, I decided not to lift weights all summer. Instead, go follow Amanda to, uh, to work at Camp Tawanga. And Real quick, and Amanda, so Amanda
0: is the girl from one of the earlier episodes that dumped me at my bar mitzvah, and also, <laughs> we stayed in touch, we became friends, and she's the one who kind of recruited me to join the staff in 2001 or 2002, uh, reluctantly. I didn't want to go initially stay with yeah. your thought but i i don't think i ever told you that when my mom initially sent me to camp Tawanga i flipped her off on the bus and said i'm gonna call you in one day you better pick me up fuck this i was so pissed and i swear 48 hours into that i honestly feel like it was the greatest place i had ever been to and i wanted to stay for the whole year that's how quick it well, captured me
1: you know what's funny is my mom was actually on the board of camp Tawanga when i was a teen but she could not convince me to go as a camper i you know maybe it, Maybe if she had been a little more forceful like your mom, she would have pushed me on the my bus. My mom was and
0: forceful. And my mom, five feet tall, but she shoved me on that bus. Said, Get the fuck to Groveland. What are you going to do? Stay here and annoy everybody in the neighborhood? Get out. And it became a part of me. Like I said, that's how I met you. It's how I met a lot of lifelong friends. And it's probably the first time that I ever actually enjoyed any aspect of Judaism, which is yeah. you know, not the bottom yeah. line, but that's kind of a big deal about it for some kids.
1: Yeah. I mean... I I mean, what I see happen a lot of time at camp, you know, obviously there's campers that aren't Jewish and a lot of staff that aren't Jewish, but it is, you know, kind of an explicitly Jewish space. And I think there's a lot of kids who maybe are a little bit more used to getting picked on at school and they have a chance to kind of explore themselves, be confident, be weird and have that be celebrated. And, um, you know, and I I think it's like a place to kind of just like not apologize for you are who you are, but actually be like cheered on for who you are and, that's like a huge deal. You know, most people probably never get that chance in life. So I don't know. It, it, yeah. It made a huge impact on me. And then, you know, I've never left basically. So no, you're still,
0: no, even when you're in the city and I see you you just have a little Tawanga with you. I remember when I was a camper, there was a counselor named Kavod. And he said, if you ever want to meditate with me, I wake up at about five thirty AM and I go to the Moadone and I said, what the fuck is that about? Like, I hate waking up. So the idea of waking up with this guy, and I thought meditation was just so hippy-dippy and out there. And now I'm addicted. I need it. I depend on it. It's funny. The seeds were planted at a young age of what was weird to me. And now I am certainly the number one weirdo.
1: Thank you, Kavod. Hebrew for the word respect.
0: Yes. There you go. The, the kids don't also know what the counselors are doing at night. Like, when we would go to the Iron Door Saloon... On karaoke night, I think that's the first time I saw you really command the crowd with a little Stevie Wonder (laughs) doing Sir Duke with your Kangol hat. I was like, this dude's not kidding. He really Uh, sings with soul. I didn't know all the lyrics to Sir Duke like I do now because of you, but you were like no stranger to, you know what? I'm going to own the crowd right now. And you still do that, which is kind of me tiptoeing towards why I wanted to team up with you for Zoburo Productions, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Okay.
1: All right. A teaser. For yeah. Grew up. I mean, we, we,
0: um, we loved a lot of I, aspects, but The Iron Door was is, big.
1: I haven't done karaoke in a long time, but Sir Duke was one of those songs where it's, a, it's like such a great song, and then it's got the like minute and a half, you know, a saxophone solo or whatever, where you're just up there with no idea what to do with yourself for the instrumental.
0: Is that a um, sax solo? I thought it was a kazoo solo.
1: Well,. I don't think it's a kazoo on the original <laughs> recording. What is dee, dee, dee. We made it a kazoo solo for that's the, what I'm uh, the that That's what we wrote talking exact, That's
0: exactly what I'm referring to. Thank you for finally Wait, getting the reference. Can I give
1: reference. you a few bars of the Tawanga cheer?
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Tawanga is a family spread in love with a message that you soon will see. Haifa's gonna break it down for you. But number one, we're a community. In the morning, we give lots of hugs. In the afternoon, we laugh. Ha ha. When the evening comes, we love to dance and give big ups to staff. Woo! Big ups must have been like a normal thing that we said in 2002.
0: Yeah, Biggie Smalls. That came from, I think, a lot of his songs.
1: Yeah. Wait, I ups.
0: like that. Did you really just remember that, or you've been singing that for years?
1: Um, I... I think I just remember that.
0: I probably haven't wow. thought
1: about it in a couple of years.
0: I haven't thought yeah, about that in know, 18 I it, years.
1: So I wrote it in the Wendy's parking lot in, in uh, Manteca.
0: <laughs> I thought we just did college football chants. I thought that's the <laughs> shit I brought to <laughs> camp. Was, Everyone, was you stomp right? your feet. We're clapping. We're standing on tables. Shove the plates <laughs> on the ground and let them know what fucking bunk you're in. You're like, hey, it's a little <laughs> more peaceful than that <laughs> around here, pal. But you know that swept. That energy swept Halutzim that year.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And then quickly dissipated. I remember
1: you had one, Who's Your Daddy Haifa Is. Do you remember that one?
0: No, I don't. (laughs) I'm a grown man.
1: I think it started with the tomahawk chop, which I'm sure is...
0: (laughs) Oh, the amount of things we can no longer do at camp. The tomahawk. Yeah, like the Atlanta Braves. the one thing I think I've talked about you on this podcast a couple of times, but the one thing I know I mentioned is that you officiated our wedding and that was four years ago. And interestingly, we had not watched the video until our anniversary in June. And when we watched it, we actually watched the whole ceremony. I'm so biased, but I was like, this is the best ceremony I've ever seen. Isaac did such a stellar job and we just gave it to you. You know, a lot of people who put on weddings are so consumed with the food and the songs and the venue, and the hotels for guests. But we kind of just handed yep. you the ceremony, and you did such an incredible job with it. Watching it back, I was getting sentimental. I was like, I'm just happy I know this guy. Because he really captured our love, you know, and he also captured the audience's attention. And you didn't even mean to. It's not like you were trying to entertain, but just something about your natural glow was on display. So it was really sweet to watch.
1: Thank you, Josh. I mean, one thing I loved about your wedding is, I think you did a really nice job of well, first of all, you have a lot of talented friends and you, you gave them opportunities to show themselves at the wedding and kind of like, you know, you really put your community on display, um, in a really cool way. I mean, the, the thing that I most remember is, uh, Josh Friday delivering the best speech I've ever heard. Holy from a, a best shit. man.
0: <laughs> and that was Obama quality. That was, yes. that was something else.
1: Yes, And, um, and the DJ you had, uh, also stepped up big time, and then Shanee's brother did like some intro music while yeah. you guys walked down, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was, yeah. Anyway, I mean, there was lots of people. I remember Brandon Lai and and his wife also stepped up and did a lot of stuff. The yeah, you you, you that's one thing you do great in general. You know, you have your buddy making uh, Micah making the intro music and Brandon doing the graphics. You know how to uh, you know how to call on your network.
0: Well, you kind of pinpointed it. I'm a genuine fan of my friends. I really am. Like, I always have been, uh, like, to support whatever they're into. But, yeah, that was so nice just to see. uh, I don't know why we waited four years to watch that ceremony, but it was great. And it also kind of guided my mind towards when I contacted you and John Bush, and I was thinking, look, this pandemic is going to give us some downtime, and people are in front of screens. And because I have a kid now, we let her see these videos, and I think there's so many shitty videos out there for kids to watch. And I was thinking... In the children's music world, outside of Rafi, is it Rafi or Rafi?
1: Uh, that's an epic debate. There's huge camps on <laughs> you, either side.
0: You know who I'm talking about, Mr. Baby Beluga yeah. himself, or I'll call him Rafi. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. pretty good, but I was like, Isaac put out a couple of CDs with his friend Melita and I play those every morning at breakfast and it should not just be a small little community that listens to this guy. So I was hyping you up to the point where I was like, let's be YouTube stars. Let's film him singing these songs and get it out there and make millions. And even if we don't make a penny, I feel like there's a glimmer of potential where I, I was hoping enough people would find you on youtube and if we organize this properly then hey pal we're business partners now we're officially business yes, partners we
1: are. I, I keep waiting for the conversation to happen with you me and john it's like okay when we make a million dollars how do we split it up <laughs>
0: <laughs> should we just say um, three ways evenly or are we actually going to have I, a, a dispute was that, that was my instinct, my instinct. <laughs> That's great. Cause you're the talent for you to agree to what I just said means I should get that in writing real quick.
1: <laughs> well, this probably counts.
0: Do you have any hope? I, I, I got to ask you that question because I'm kind of in the clouds with it, but do you have any hope that we could actually generate hundreds of thousands of I, views and subscribers and fans? I,
1: the truth is I, I probably am naive enough about how the internet works that I do have some hope. <laughs> Me too. I, like, I love it. <laughs> I, um, I'll tell you a funny story. I, um on Facebook early in the pandemic, maybe in March, I got like challenged by somebody to do like a cover song. It's I, I can't remember what it, it was like a particular challenge, but um it took me a month to do it. But I, I put together a Stevie Wonder cover, Don't You Worry About a Thing. Oh, nice. I worked my ass off, you know, to play all these diminished chords and all these just like tough things on the guitar. And uh I, I, I probably recorded it, I don't know, twenty-five times until I got the take that I wanted. And then I posted it and I was like, I did have a thought in my head. This is going to get me famous. I love <laughs> and I that. And think, I think about 300 people watched it. <laughs> Wait, so 300
0: is shitty, right? But how do we gauge what's fame? Like, is it 1 million? Is that the number that I, makes you go, I'm famous now on YouTube?
1: You know, there's a a guy who I know locally in Berkeley who made this really great music video. And he did get a million views. Although I think... I think on Facebook you can kind of pay for views like the more money you pay to advertise the more you know we'll find a way to get it watched but um sorry not to knock my friend but he he did get a million views and I think it did lead to him getting opportunities to start like touring more and getting booked and I think probably what it is is like he could you know he could reach out to some venue in some city that's never heard of him and then and point to the fact that he's got However many views on this particular yeah. video And they have some confidence like oh He could get people out to to See him and it's worth like booking him for Something
0: that's like Lil um, Dicky right the show Dave we were watching Lil Dicky knew if I yeah. get A real celebrity on my track then I'm Going to get the traction from that and It'll play yeah. into my success So yeah. yeah maybe we should try to feature Lil Dicky on the first love, Isaac Zones song
1: I love that our Models for like our careers is from Watching the show Dave <laughs> <laughs>
0: If I was a 13-year-old Jewish boy, which I would have been, um, he would have been my Adam Sandler. You know, when I was 13, I was thinking, what was big? Jerky boys, Adam Sandler. But, my God, he probably has such an appeal to the young Tawangans. Oh, my God, little dicky. I thought he was a joke. And then I realized, oh, people take him seriously. Yeah. Like, they view him as someone with talent. And now he's stratospheric with his rise. Yeah.
1: I did I watched a video of his someone, I don't know, casually a long time ago with no context, and I just kinda of blew it off. And then you got me into the show, Dave. And so I good. loved it. And um uh I mean and then I re actually watched the same video, you know, years later and I and now I understood it, I got it. Like I, I was I, I felt connected to him and kinda of what he was doing. But it was funny, you know, the second episode of that um show <laughs> he gets asked to play at the memorial for a young child who's passed away, who was a huge fan of his. And it's just going to be his first live show. And he ends up getting narcissistic and like taking it about like, it's about him. Like, I'm so sad. This is my first show is like at a memorial service. But he also tries to figure out how to write an original song. I guess it speaks to what you're saying of like, that they, he did have fans that were 10 years old, you know, and, and that that's what they would want have wanted <laughs> is to have someone like Little Dickie performing at their service, you know.
0: That's when Macklemore um, showed up.
1: And then Macklemore showed up. And totally upstaged canceled. him
0: bumped them so yeah this yeah. is a very soft promotion people might just be thinking oh this is an interview with Isaac no this is fully an advertisement at this point it's called Zaburo Productions Z-O for Zones <laughs> B-U for Bush R O for Rosenberg look for it in the next couple of weeks we need the clicks folks and it's not for you it's for your kids you know I have to remind myself that because I actually don't like anything Disney I know there's adults out there who love the Lion King and Aladdin and all that stuff I actually have to adapt having one kid now and hopefully another. I'm going to have to teach myself to enjoy kids stuff. Cause my wife, yeah. she listens to me complain about kids videos. And she's like, what do you want right now? Like, do you really yeah. want it to be so appealing to 38 year old Josh Rosenberg? Relax, get into the kids. Well, I, stuff.
1: Do, I will say, you know, cause I, this is the world I operate in a little bit. I do try to strike a balance between being engaging, interesting, genuine for young people, but also not being alienating to the parents. I mean, I, I do understand on some level that the parents are the ones who are putting this, the things on. And I don't want them to feel like they have to sacrifice uh, to be a part of the experience. I mean, for me, it's been like recording audio CDs that are going to be played in the car for a car ride or something. I think there is a sweet spot of like folk music or, you know, stuff where parents and kids can both relate to it. And I guess for me, what that translates to is I try not to be too over the top sticky, like, Hey, kids. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Part of that's just not me. I mean, it, it would exhaust me where I wouldn't want to do it anymore um you know where you're like a clown essentially well i did send um, you
0: some clown makeup on amazon prime yesterday but you don't have to wear it honestly you don't have to wear it maybe just the eyes and nose but not the wig
1: that's why you're getting one third of the cut it's because you're so nice you thank you no you <laughs> just captured it have to wear it.
0: isaac you and melita were the only ones here i was watching blippy and bounce patrol and katie cutie and all this shit and then i put your cd on and i go ah oh. I'm enjoying something that my daughter's also listening to. I even put it on, you know, when I'm cooking and she's not in the room. So that's when, you know, the light bulb went off. I said, yes, let's do this. Let's do the damn thing. And you and Bush were so receptive to the idea. So I'm hoping it goes somewhere. We'll see. I do know that during this pandemic, though, a lot of people are having increased screen time, which is going to play to our advantage, pal.
1: So. Should we just outright ask people who are listening right now to, uh, to find me on YouTube and subscribe so that we can get closer to the number we need to get to, to, uh, start monetizing this whole thing.
0: Don't feel guilty. We got to use every medium
1: search for my name on YouTube. Isaac zones, I S A A C (laughs) Z O N E S. I like that. And, um, I actually don't know the URL off the top of my head. That's fine. You can find me on on YouTube and subscribe.
0: All right. So here's a deep question before I turn over the podcast to Isaac. Isaac actually has listened to a few podcasts and wrote down some notes that he wants to bring up to me, which is scary because I never remember a damn thing I say. I do remember what others say, but I don't remember what I say. So here's a, here's a question I want you to actually think about of all the essential things humans need to exist. Obviously food, fuel, shelter, healthcare. Do you believe art? is essential. And art is a big general word, but do you view art as essential to the human condition?
1: Um, That's a great question. I, I think art is inherently a part of who we are. I think it's a part, I think being creative is a part of who we are. I think, I think we live in a culture and a society where that's mostly weeded out from people. I, you know, I think a lot of people are told they're not musical. They're not artistic. I, I still struggle to draw or paint or do any of that stuff because i I don't know what happened exactly when I was young, but I certainly was discouraged around it. Music, I wasn't. And I, like, you know, kept training those muscles, so to speak. And, you know, and it led from one thing to the next uh, to the point now where it's like a a big part of my life. I mean, I'm trying to imagine a society without art. And that seems like a sad existence. Very sad. I mean, you know, you have to define, like, does you and I, like, laughing, does that fall under art? Maybe not exactly, but, you know, comedy, I would say, is definitely an art form. You know, in, in one of my favorite art forms.
0: I enjoy trying to define it first because yeah. everybody's going to have a different view of it. Sometimes people just hear art and they think painting and drawing and I go, no, 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 no. Art, you know, art is so much of what I care to consume throughout the day. Uh, I know you're answering this one way, but I hope it is. I hope it is essential for our existence. I don't know if somebody could dispute that in a debate. But I mean, God, if I went one day of my life. Without art, it'd be beyond depressing. That sounds like misery on many levels. It's listening to a podcast. It's listening to a song. It's reading a book. It's, like you said, comedy. It's all the things that make this existence less mundane, and it adds color. So, no, I don't want to live in a colorless world. We need it so badly. And I think you've brought art to a lot of people starting at a young age. This is the most indirect way of giving you a compliment but you do provide a lot of kids with their first favorite songs and that does parlay into something that blossoms
1: thank you josh i mean uh it's hard for me to take that in a certain way and i think the truth is i don't see it happen in some cases because it's happening in their homes you know so it's only through uh, anecdotal stories or whatever that i kind of get a glimpse i I have worked for many years in preschools and i get to see it up close and personal and it's crazy you know where mostly my job is to drop into a classroom for half an hour once a week. And as soon as the kids see me on the playground or whatever, they're like screaming and want to hug me. And I, mean, you can feel the, yeah. like, the value that you have in their life. I mean, clearly how connected and excited they get just by you coming in. And, and I always try to come in with the angle of this is playful and fun. And it's like, we're going to like play together using music as an art form. But um, yeah, I mean, I think even from like, Uh, You know, I have a one and a half year old who just gets turned on by music and like wants to do crazy out there, weird things uh, with instruments and singing. And, you know, I I, I guess I've had the perspective of trying trying to support that and like be playful with him in it and not like laugh at him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the high school I teach at is called Marin School of the Arts at Novato High. I mean, I teach at Novato High, but yeah, MSA is there and it attracts like real prodigies from all over the Bay Area. And in Marin, you do have these kids who come here and that's really what they're geared towards. Even if they're 15, 16 years old, they go, this is, this is my life. I'll still do the science class, the world history class PE, but I know what I want to do. And I feel like with budget cuts, not just affecting our district, but all over America, the first thing they target sometimes is the arts. And I'm like, Oh, how backwards. I could think of so many other things to cut before you start to remove the arts at a high school when their minds are still forming?
1: Well, you and I don't often get into like, you know, talking about critiques of capitalism, which is something I think about some amount of the time. But I I do think in order for society to kind of maintain its status quo, and I think this summer was an example of seeing where that's probably not going to be what happens into the future. But I, I do think there is an element of like some amount of people need to kind of just be rank and file and not ask too many questions or not speak up and say anything. And I think arts create people thinking outside the box, thinking creatively, thinking differently. I mean, I, I just listened to episode 102 where you're talking about the value of school and, and the focus being on, um, you know, being socialized and relationship building. Um, but you asked this question, like, when in your life have you learned the best yeah. or the most? Yeah. Which I thought was a really poignant and great question. And, and you were talking about basically getting to do projects and, like, kind of thro- like guide your own learning in a certain way. I think the truth is if, if we really – I mean – we, there is so much potential to think outside the box of like how to actually support people to be learning the best way that they can, as opposed to I don't know how much you would agree with this. But some of school is just forcing people to get used to, like, you know, jumping through hoops or like, you know, listening to instructions, sitting in a chair all day, you know, sure. like kind of getting used to things which will then groom them to kind of like take orders from a boss at a job and not ask too many questions about it. Um while we're on this topic a little bit, I found this quote that I loved uh, that I'd be curious to know what you think about, but this is uh, attributed to Tony Cade bambara but it's the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Oh, I like that. <laughs>
0: you mean, how um, do I interpret anyway. that? Yeah. The role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to sell an uprising to young people, it can't yeah. just be a dense packet of words to inspire them. Yeah. There has to be songs about it. There has to be yeah. paintings about it. There has to be plays about it. I mean, think about what's going to come out of, you know, this current crisis we're in from COVID-19 to the racial injustice. People are going to be making so many movies and songs about it. It is going to be irresistible. People are going to say, I want to you know try my hand at that and be, be a part of something that seems bigger. Is that how you're seeing yeah. it?
1: Well, it's funny. I think for me as an artist, it it makes me think. Okay, how do I how do I have what, what where my creative juices are going be something that actually is relevant to a revolution, and not just have it be about like learning the colors in Hebrew or something.
0: Do you feel like there's a revolution um, going on right now?
1: I think there's definitely the seeds for one, you know, and 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 at the same time, I think we're seeing things get shakier and shakier. Mm-hmm. I I think revolution comes from a place where people at some point say it's it's so uncomfortable to do nothing that we have to do something. And I think that it is becoming more and more uncomfortable for more people. I mean, I think a lot of those people live outside the U.S. And, you know, I, I just read some article today about climate change. And like there's, you know, certain parts of Africa where there's more than more than 200 days a year that are over 95 degrees. In certain regions, you know, just the like I mean, just that alone, it's like people are, are going to physically start getting more and more uncomfortable to the point where they are going to demand something changes, you know? Um,
0: well, I anyway. actually, I don't believe in climate change. I don't believe it's real, but I appreciate you bringing up that topic. What if I finally <laughs> dropped that on the podcast? People are like, what the fuck did he just say? <laughs> well, uh, that's one fallacy that I've always known to be a hoax. Pizza
1: gate? Where do you stand on Pizzagate?
0: <laughs> oh boy, I don't stand anywhere near it. So I feel like if there's inequity that's been on display for so long, but now it's been amplified from housing to the schools, then yeah, we could call this the seeds of a revolution. I like that. Even if you and I are dead one day and we know the seeds are growing into something. All right. I know we don't have a lot of time left because we have kids that nap and then they wake up and then we have to go places. So I'm going to turn over the podcast to you and I'm scared to do this, but (laughs) the floor is yours. Go zones.
1: Okay. Well, I want to start by playing, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to set this up for a second. So I think on some level, you have 102 episodes of this podcast, I guess, and counting. And, um, I think on some level, we're just listening to you working out stand-up bits. (laughs) (laughs) I Um, I mean, you have some great deep thoughts that, that come out as well, obviously, but, um, is this the, oh no. Oops. Okay. And for a long time, you've been working out stand-up bits on my on my voicemail, <laughs> and I've saved a lot of them, and they're great. And uh, Okay, I'm going to play you this one. It's uh, from somebody named Milos, with an Eastern European accent, not distinct. I'm going to skip through the first 30 seconds of you in an Eastern European accent singing Closer to Fine.
0: Oh, that sounds uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall any of that. Of
2: it. Can you hear it? Yeah. In the good girls. Hey, bro, it's Miloš. I'm from Kazakhstan. No, I could do better. Uzbekistan? No, maybe. I'm from Ukraine. Perfect. I'm Ukrainian friend, Miloš. My last name is also Milosh. I uh, have some news. I spoke to my friend, Josh, he's very short. He's very cute. He said uh, he's recorded his first podcast. Uh, he cordially invites you to be guest host for <laughs> one episode, maybe two. Don't get carried away. Come on. Hey bro, come on bro. It's a podcast a recording, interview for having good time like Paul seven things. <laughs> uh, Josh tells me to tell you, call him back on telephone. And you say closer I am to find the good girls all right
0: indigo girls at the end oh i love it i hate to be so narcissistic and enjoy my own bits but that's not bad okay how about no more of that though i'm trying to really be a refined podcast host here and you're dragging me
1: down i did have another one okay you as bernie baccarini from Capitol records telling me that i have the it factor and that you want to give me a deal let her rip but that one's about three minutes long um by the way, these are from two and a half years ago. You invited me to formally be a guest on of your podcast two and a half years ago as Milos.
0: You have good patience. <laughs>
1: okay, here we go. You ready?
0: Yeah.
2: Isaac, I'm Bernie Beccarini, Capital Records. I've been listening to a lot of your stuff lately. You and Melita have that sound. You got the impact, kid. I want you guys to come in. We're going to commit to your first demo probably pay us cash in a briefcase underneath the vehicle in a parking lot. Anyways, once again, Bernie Beccarini, I've been a producer with Capital Records in the early 70s. Mm-hmm. You ever heard of Frank Sinatra? Well, I didn't uh, produce any of his work, but I, I've also heard of him. Uh, you ever heard of Linda Ronstadt? Uh, maybe you have. She was big in the 80s. She had a great duet with the incomparable Aaron Neville uh what was that song i forget but, <laughs> uh, once again you and melita i've been listening to all your stuff especially when you go yalla i don't even know that word but there's one song where you go Yala. and it's good man you got that you got that pizzazz, that that thing in showbiz we can't even define but we look for i've been scouting down all over the nation uh you ever heard of michael bubbly have you Well, I did not discover him,
0: but I'll tell you what—he is a singer. (laughs) Oh shit! All Uh, right, that was
2: it, I guess.
0: (laughs) But you know what? That guy does not sound promising for launching your career.
1: (laughs) I didn't call him back.
0: No, I wouldn't either. Delete. Um, Free up some space on that phone.
1: Okay. Well. Okay. All right. I'm. I'm looking. I'm looking. Uh, Okay. Here's one. I don't know why this is here or what it's in reference to. The only thing that matters in life is relationships.
0: Yeah, and I could add experiences to that. But those two things, relationships and experiences, that's truly all that matters. Are you disputing or agreeing?
1: No, I agree. I mean, I hadn't thought about the experiences. but It's funny because I often, well, I heard someone say that the only security in life is in relationships. The only real security in life. And uh, I think about that often, you know, in terms of prioritizing relationships over work or money or, you know, whatever else.
0: Well, I got to elaborate because I also believe that terrible relationships shape us all. You know, I'm not just talking about, oh, the friends we have and the people we love. No, I'm talking about all relationships. That's what matters. It really does. Every single day, the relationships in my life, whether it's with my daughter or just, you know, a neighbor down the street that I hate. That all matters. That all matters. Yeah. I actually feel like we hang out more than we
1: do because I'm listening to your podcast and I feel like we're hanging out when I listen to your podcast.
0: That's the power of radio too. I love the spoken word medium. I always have. That's why I think I always wanted to go into radio or something like this because when I heard it, I felt connected to the host in a way like if they were humanized and if they sounded personable... That's like one of the great relationships to form because it's consistent. They're on three to seven every day. You can know I'm coming at you once a week with some episode like this.
1: It's like my donut shop fantasy. Like, you know where the person is. Yeah,
0: I love that. I love that. All right, my man. Let's wrap it up with another promotion. Zoburo Productions. You could catch Isaac's videos maybe in the next few weeks. I don't really know much, but uh, it'll be worth tuning in for. All right, Isaac. I love you, buddy. Thanks for coming on the show.
1: Love you too, Josh. Thanks for having me. Look forward to
0: more. No doubt. Don't get your hopes up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> as Miloš as warned
0: me. As Miloš says. <laughs> Milos, All right, buddy. Milos. Bye, Josh. We'll talk. All right, there's Isaac. Anybody that knows the guy loves the guy. Except his wife. Where's the rim shot? I shouldn't have said that. She's a sweet woman. She doesn't deserve that. She's a loving, wonderful lady. And I retract that. I mean, I don't delete it, but I retract it. Okay, let me catch my footing and wish you all a very happy weekend ahead. That's episode 103. It's in the books. I'll talk to you soon.